0: Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm Jason Kong alongside Bill Alexander. Bill,
1: how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. I mean, it's this weather is wacky. I mean, it's been horribly cold and now it's uh, warm again. Of course, this won't last but a few days, but at least uh, we can get out this weekend and... and uh, that that's uh, that's okay by me i i love these indian summer days if you will
0: you know whenever we have a a streak of a few days of really cold weather i always think of you because you're you're always professing that it's so important to have a good string of cold days so that we have less bugs during the summer
1: it is and i actually appreciated these bitterly cold uh the, the week or two that we had uh Because it really does make our summers more pleasant. I mean, a lot of folks don't realize the benefits you get by having uh, this unseasonably cold uh, weather uh, that we don't like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can't do much about the weather, and unfortunately, we can't do... A whole lot about new laws and the government, and you've got Mm -hmm. something that you wanted to address with the audience.
1: Yes, uh, I have a red flag issue uh, for anyone who uh, owns or manages um, a, a small business. You know, an LLC, a limited liability company or a corporation, whether it's an S-corp or a regular corporation. And of course, uh, the, the fact is, is there is a new federal law that many of us will not like. Um, but it I, I will say, I'm not going to say it's justified because it, it's a pain for uh, all of us to deal with. and. For a lot of folks, uh, will think that the government's trying to get uh, information that that they shouldn't be able to get. It's a privacy kind of thing. But this is called the Corporate Transparency Act, uh, or the CTA, if you will. Uh, And it becomes effective January 1 or I should say it became effective January 1 of 2024, but it gives us a transition year. It becomes more aggressive January 1, 2025. Uh, but uh, the 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 bottom line is uh, it, uh, it, any company uh, with 20 or fewer employees, in other words, small generally family-owned businesses, but it, it also talks about lots, lots of others as well. Um, but the bottom line is that um, we have new re- reporting requirements. Uh, and uh, basically, um, we have to fill in a, a, a form online for the government to tell the government the, uh, with, with uh, uh, valid identification and the whole bit, you know, in other words, we actually have to put our driver's license or passport uh, into the system so that the government has that, and we have to tell the government um, uh, anyone who manages, has control of, or manages uh, a an LLC or corporation, and we also must report any person who has at least a twenty-five percent interest in a company. Um, now, uh, so bottom line is for the lawyers out there, if we help clients create uh, an LLC or a corporation then we should now have to fill out these additional forms so yes it's going to cost more um, and we'll have to make sure we know the identity and have verifiable identification of the folks uh, who will constitute the ownership of the company. Now for a lot of small mom and pop uh, operations where just one person owns it or it's a married couple that owns it. It's not going to be particularly difficult, but at the same time, uh, if there's a bunch of people who own it, then there's a lot of work to, to, <laughs> to be done. But uh, all of this has to be reported to the government, and and quite frankly, uh, if anyone Fails to report it, there are uh, really big fines involved, in um, penalties involved. In uh, so the bottom line is, is that failing to report or providing false information uh, could result in fines of um, five hundred dollars per day, up to ten thousand dollars, and potential imprisonment. For up to two years, so they're they're serious about getting this information uh, from us, Um, and we have to be able to report all of the beneficial owners, as well as the managers of these companies, and of course a beneficial owner. Could be a person through a trust, if you will. So it's uh, it's not just necessarily the record owner; it's the person who really benefits from this particular uh, company. And and it doesn't matter whether it's a limited liability company or corporation. um, It's this information uh, has got to be provided, and it starts this year. Uh, Now. Uh, there are lawsuits, you know, that are contesting the constitutionality of of this law, as to, and there is a possibility that it will be struck down by the courts. But I wouldn't count on it. Uh, I've, you know, it's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, there is a legitimate reason for the uh, government, uh, the federal government, to be asking because. Uh, this is just another way uh, that they're trying to track down uh, money laundering and, uh, and, and uh, uh, the, how terrorist groups are, are being funded, which all of us, I think, should be concerned about because it's a, it's a huge international issue, quite frankly. But at the same time, most of us don't like the invasion of privacy and just an, another reporting requirement that... Uh, we have to suffer
0: it never gets easier and there's always something new down the pike but bill thank you for putting that on our radar i'm sure lots of business owners and those with interests in different corporations and businesses are going to want to have that on their radar because those penalties that you mentioned uh they're They're not light. It's not a slap on the wrist. It's something that we need to pay attention to. Well, we've got some more that we're going to get to in just a bit. I want to remind everyone that if you are interested in attending one of the free webinars, Put on by WG Alexander and Associates. Those are happening on Wednesday, February 14th. They do these the second Wednesday of every month. And if you are interested in learning more about long term care assistance, those who are dealing with long term care issues and the costs associated with long term care, and are interested in finding information about government assistance, whether it's through Medicaid or through VA benefits, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to learn about how most middle-class families can access that assistance. You're going to want to go to wgalaw.com, click on the seminars button. That's how you can register to attend the long-term care assistance webinar. It's free to do so. There's no cost to you. It's a wonderful educational opportunity for you to learn from the folks at wg alexander and associates go to wgalaw.com click on that seminars button again free to register free to attend and there's also a session dedicated to asset protection and trust planning wgalaw.com is the place to go or call 919-256-7000 919-256-7000 we're taking a short break but we'll be back with more This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about Bill and W.G. Alexander and Associates at WGALaw.com. You can schedule some time to speak with an elder law attorney. You can find information about their free webinars that are happening on Wednesday, February 14th. Just go to WGALaw.com. If you're interested in learning more about the webinars, click on the seminars button at the top of the page i'm jason kong here with bill alexander and bill one of the benefits of your webinars is that you clear up a lot of misconceptions and confusion when it comes to medicaid but we're going to spend a little bit of time here talking about one aspect of medicare that can be quite confusing
1: right no no question about it uh medicare i mean for those of us who are 65 or older uh, almost all of us are on Medicare. I mean, in essence, we, un- unless we're still working for an employer with an uh, approved health plan, uh, when we turn 65, uh, we have better have signed up for Medicare, uh, because uh, we're pretty much forced to do it, A- and uh, we're penalized if we don't sign up for it uh, on time. And then, of course, uh, we have to pay for it. Uh, and uh, for those folks who are still working, um, you know, frankly, if you're uh, it, it, with an employer with a large plan that, that uh, where you don't have to go on Medicare at 65, that actually tends to be the best way to go. Uh, But most of us have to go on Medicare at 65. And if we don't take Social Security then, and for most of us, we should not be taking Social Security when we turn 65, uh, we have to pay for it in quarterly payments. And if we're still making good money, then hopefully, uh, well, I mean, this is uh, another complication where our premium for Medicare can be higher than other folks uh, because of how much income we have. That's Those are Irma premiums. I don't like Irma. She's not a nice lady at all. Uh, but the fact is is that those folks are still uh, working, uh, and, or self-employed or the like, and have lots of income. Then our premiums for Medicare are much higher than the normal monthly premiums that most people pay for for Medicare. And I will also say that seniors um, uh, and, you know, folks think that life gets easier when you get older. And the fact is that that's there's nothing farther from the truth. Uh, And one of the complications of getting older is Medicare. Uh, and, And the fact is, is that folks need to review Their Medicare plan and their drug plan every year because these plans can change. Uh, uh, You know, there are Medicare Advantage plans that about half of Americans take advantage of. uh, And some of those plans are really good. As to how good they are may depend on where you live because, you know, certain plans are available in, in some areas and not in other areas. But the fact is that while traditional Medicare benefits uh, are the same from year to year, the drug plans are not the same. And if you're on any kind of Medicare supplement plan, which most people who are on Medicare uh, should have a Medicare supplement or what's called a Medigap plan, Uh, and they change every year, and our drug plans change every year, and the Medicare Advantage plans change every year. So guess what? As a senior, every darn year, we have to review all of these plans to make sure that the plan we have this year will uh, serve us well next year. Um, and, And, yes, it's a pain to to do it. It's a lot of work. And it's confusing. And most of us need some assistance when it comes to choosing the right plan for us. And uh, this is not something that my law firm does, of course. Uh, I'd want to stay as far away from that as possible. But the fact is, is that we need help. Uh, and there are some good free services out there Uh, That can help us choose the right plans, but but we have to remember That we have to do it every year and we can't delay on that but with that said there's other things that confuses people about Medicare and uh, one of the things that confuses folks is is the Medicare benefit period in other words if I have to go to the hospital, if I'm really sick, how long will Medicare actually pay? And so the the benefit period is a period of consecutive days during which medical benefits for covered services, and of course, some of them have maximum limitations. Uh, but while those covered services are actually, available to us. In other words, they're not cut off. Well, if you have to go to the hospital, Medicare will pay 60 full days of hospitalization with full coverage. Um, And then 30 additional days where it's covered, but there's coinsurance that is uh, required. In other words, there's a copay And that's where, so it's those days where your uh, supplemental plan covers those additional 30 days, and of course you also have a deductible as well, which is what you pay for. And the the deductible piece is what gives people confusion, because the deductible is, in terms of when it resets, is different from when the benefit period resets. Did you get that? <laughs> okay. So let's take the easy one first. The deductible resets every year on January 1. Okay. So it's a year calendar year deductible. But the benefit period is not based on a calendar year. And that's why people get confused as it relates. So basically the benefit period is renewed when you as the beneficiary have has not been an inpatient of a hospital or a skilled nursing facility for 60 consecutive days. So the bottom line is is that okay you go into the hospital and oftentimes you're in the hospital for a few days or a week or two, and then you get discharged into a skilled nursing facility. Now, that's a little that's confusing too, because uh, Medicare is not going to pay for the skilled nursing facility unless you've you've been an inpatient at the hospital for three consecutive nights. And it, in other words, if you're only there under observation, it doesn't cover your your rehab. But if you've been been in the hospital as an inpatient for three nights, then it does cover, and it covers. Typically, this this is another benefit period that this is different from being in the hospital. So that's uh, 20 full days, and then you have copays after that up to 100 days for the for the nursing home uh, uh, for uh, rehabilitation. But the benefit period resets after you haven't been in the hospital for 60 days uh, or the nursing home for 60 days. So uh, basically, when you come home, then Medicare resets for you. Uh, Now, like I said, it's not based on the calendar year. So if, if you were uh, in the hospital in December and you went into the next calendar year uh, before you got out of the hospital, then uh, your deductible would reset, but your benefit period would not. So that's where it gets confusing. So in essence, your benefit period for coverage resets to where you get the full benefit after not using it for hospitalization or nursing care for 60 consecutive days. That's when it resets. But the deductible will reset on January 1 of each year no matter when your benefit period resets. Did you get that?
0: (laughs) I think we got it. I think the lesson is just just don't get sick. That's that's really what I learned from this, Bill. But no, thank you for breaking that down because it, it is quite confusing. Because you would think that maybe both those things are tied to the calendar year, but they're not. So thank you for breaking that down. And if Aren't
1: you uh, glad you're not on Medicare,
0: <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. That I don't quite have to pay too much attention to that yet. Well, if Medicaid is something that you are interested in learning more about whether it's for long-term care or uh, maybe you're envisioning down the road it's someone that you know who may be impacted by long-term care you want to find out what information is correct bill just broke down medicare right there and the team at wg wg alexander and associates will break down medicaid in a similar fashion for those who are dealing with a long-term care crisis you can register for their free webinars to learn more Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. It's free to register, free to attend. It's a wonderful educational opportunity for you. WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button to learn more. A quick break and back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back after this. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more at wgalaw.com. wgalaw.com is where you can go to spend some time to speak with an elder law attorney, maybe get some documents drawn up or have your current legal documents reviewed. If you've never had that done by an elder law attorney, this is a wonderful time to do that. Learn more at wgalaw.com. That's also where you can find information. About their free webinars learn more about asset protection and trust planning as well as long term care assistance wgalaw.com click on the seminars button at the top of the page i'm jason kong here with bill alexander bill we're gonna shift gears here we've been talking about trusts on and off recently and you've got a message for our well-to-do families
1: well, as you know, I, I love what I do, and I enjoy uh, creating trusts uh, for families because uh, oftentimes a trust is a fantastic way to create an estate plan. Um, now, with that said, uh, the, the topic I want to cover is why uh, well-to-do couples may want to use an Irrevocable trust uh, at the first death. Uh, in other words, when one spouse uh, leaves us, does that spouse want to use an irrevocable trust uh, for the surviving spouse? And, and there are a number of different reasons uh, why uh, that uh, can be extremely helpful. But the the uh, first of all. Uh, we're we're generally talking about the decedent's uh, share of the property. And, and before I go any uh, further, uh, the the fact is is that most people, whether they use a trust or not, if they're married, uh, the general rule is I leave everything to my spouse. In other words, no strings attached, here it is, Uh, when I die, you get it, dear, Uh, and whether it's husband or wife who dies first, the majority of us have an estate uh, plan that uh, is simple and leaves everything to the spouse, and then the spouse can do whatever they wish in terms of for themselves and for uh, the children and grandchildren and the like. Um, and, and that's okay. In, in uh, a trust-type plan, that type of sweetheart plan, the, the way it's typically done in, in most well-written trusts, uh, there uh, is uh, what we call a disclaimer plan. And that basically means that in in order to create an irrevocable trust at the first death, the survivor must disclaim all or part of the decedent's uh, estate. Now, the fact is is that uh, disclaimers are rarely used. Generally, if it is used, it's because that there was a surprise, you know, we won the lottery or something like that, where it makes it clear uh, that creating an irrevocable family trust at the first death uh, is a wise thing to do. Uh, And so you also have to understand that uh, many couples uh, have already structured much of what they own uh, so that the survivor gets it. Uh, in other words, uh, they own much of their property joint with right of survivorship. They own their real estate uh, together as tenants by the entirety. Uh, their life insurance and their retirement plans have a beneficiary designation to their spouse and then to their children. So, you know, basically that's a very simplistic plan. That works if that is uh, the, the way your family dynamics are, and it uh, seems the right thing to do, uh, and it's the best thing to do. And of course, uh, most people do in fact love simple. Uh, simple is good, okay? <laughs> but there are plenty of times when simple is really not the best way to go. Uh, there are lots of times when having an irrevocable trust at the first death uh, makes a lot of sense um, uh, for everyone. And so uh, that's what I want to really go into uh, and talk about why uh, and what are those situations where uh, it makes good sense, good planning, to actually have an irrevocable trust for the benefit of your spouse. And then, of course, I'm a big believer in irrevocable trust for our children as well, and there are lots of advantages for that. But, uh, uh, but I want to go into the different reasons why um, a well-to-do family, in other words, someone that would want to create a revocable trust to begin with, And not everybody falls into that category, but most well-to-do families actually do use a trust for their estate planning. And for those families, why would you want to consider doing an irrevocable trust? So when we come back, I want to just go into the different reasons that people may want to use an irrevocable trust at the first death
0: we will explore those reasons i can tell bill that this is always so exciting for you because of the the intricacies involved in trusts and i don't think many of us really quite understand the the possibilities and customization that is involved with trusts so we're looking forward to this discussion don't forget if you want to register for the free webinars happening on wednesday february 14th there's still plenty of time to do so all you have to do is go to wga law Click on the seminars button at the top of the page. If you would like to learn more about long-term care assistance, Medicaid, VA benefits, financial assistance for those families who are dealing with a long-term care crisis, you really need to register for these free webinars because they are so helpful. Also, if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, if your ears are perking up with this segment that we're going to be diving into, I think you'll want to register for the asset protection and trust planning webinar as well. Both of those are happening on Wednesday, February 14th. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button to register in advance. There's no cost associated. It's free to do so. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more. I'm Jason Kong. We're with Bill Alexander, and we'll be back right after this. listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander wgalaw.com is where you can go to learn more about bill and wg alexander and associates that's also where you can go to register for their free webinars happening the second wednesday of every month the next set of webinars is wednesday february 14th be sure to register in advance if you would like to learn more about asset protection and trust planning or long-term care assistance that may be available to you and your family, WGALaw.com is where you want to go. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, before the break, we were talking about trusts and why well-to-do families, families who are very well-off, who are considering a trust, may want to consider A irrevocable trust after the death of the first spouse uh, in compared to a revocable trust
1: well the first uh, and in most cases uh, we're only talking about the decedent share which is generally half uh, being used for the irrevocable trust so that the survivor's share would still be revocable still be able to do Uh, anything and everything they might want to do without any restrictions whatsoever. Um, But um, there are good reasons why uh, one might want to use irrevocable trust for their spouse, Um, and so that's what I want to go into. But the first thing I have to say is that uh, no, it is not as simple as a revocable trust. In, in other words, there's, uh, uh, it needs to be managed a little bit differently. Uh, and importantly, uh, that trust requires an income tax return each year, which with a revocable trust, you don't have that. So yes, it's a little more complicated, but it doesn't have to be complicated. It, but it, Like I said, it does have managed some uh, real benefits to the family depending on the circumstances so okay why would we want an irrevocable trust well let's say that we're getting older and our spouse is not doing well not healthy all right and so we might want to create what we call a supplemental needs trust uh, which is an asset protection trust. It also coordinates with Medicaid and, and government benefits, so people like it for that reason. Uh, you know, when we create a Supplemental Needs Trust, there's no look-back period, no, no five-year look-back. There's no sanction. It's unlimited in terms of how much it can contain. There are a lot of advantages to that uh, if the survivor might need Medicaid um, after the death of their spouse, which is not an uncommon thing, quite frankly. Um, but it could be just the fact that th- that our spouse would be unable to manage their property. And so uh, instead of leaving it to that spouse, where one of the children would have to come in and manage the property using a power of attorney— uh, instead, we create a trust where the child is the trustee, and then by being trustee, is in charge of uh, how uh, money would be invested and how it is distributed for the the, the sole benefit of the spouse uh, who's not doing well. So that's one great reason for having an irrevocable trust. But it may be that, and sometimes there are complicated family situations, you know, where you have a a spouse uh, and you have children by a previous marriage, and you want to be able to control the ultimate distribution of your property. Uh, That's a huge reason um, and it, or it might be that you simply want to maintain control, and by maintaining control, you're determining who's in charge of managing the property. That's the trustee, and that trustee does not necessarily have to be your surviving spouse. Uh, it might be that you're the surviving spouse has never had to manage investments and doesn't know how to spend money or is a sprint spendthrift or has some other issues where they really should not be responsible for controlling the money that your uh, uh, money and property that you're leaving to them so it uh, control after you're gone, uh, can be um, a huge factor in whether to have an irrevocable trust. Um, but uh, and so another way of saying it is that you want to uh, determine who a, a, that trusted manager of that property would be, and. Normally, that would be one of your children, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be. It, it could be a sibling or it could be an, another trusted uh, person or professional, uh, because oftentimes uh, how to invest money and, and how to spend money can be uh, issues, whether it's for your spouse or your children. So. Um, Another reason is you may want to control distributions uh, from your property after you're gone. You want to make sure that certain distributions are made to your children or grandchildren. And if it all goes to your spouse and your spouse is in control of that, uh, then your children or grandchildren might not get those same distributions that you want to make sure. So, obviously you can make sure your children get those distributions or your grandchildren for that matter uh, get those distributions um, because there's an irrevocable trust where it tells the trustee to to make uh, those distributions now uh, uh, the, another reason that folks like to use a, a, an irrevocable trust uh, and this would be in a first marriage scenario. but and and typically this this is an issue for the for the uh, wives out there. And what is it? They worry about, well, if I die first and I have a nice estate, I'm worried about uh, what my husband, who's been a good husband, will do after I'm gone. because number one, we know, that the likelihood of your of the husband remarrying after you're gone is very very high. And so uh, oftentimes the wives w- want to have remarriage restrictions. Now this doesn't keep the husband from getting remarried after you're gone, but what it does is it puts in um, strings, if you will, on on the trust property. In other words, uh, if you remarry, then we're going to cut you off uh, or or limit what you can get uh, and use out of my trust because I'm protecting this property for our children rather than for your next wife or her children. Uh, And, of course, if there are no strings attached, then, of course... Um, you know, if there's a remarriage, then of course, with a remarriage, if there's not a prenuptial agreement, which I talk about from time to time, and always encourage, uh, then there is a requirement of support for that new spouse if there's not a prenup. So remarriage restrictions typically are, thou shalt have a prenuptial agreement, and if you don't have one, I'm cutting you off completely. If you have one, I'm just going to limit what you can get out of my trust because I'm going to protect it uh, for the children. So remarriage restrictions can be very important. Now, another reason that people might want to use an irrevocable trust is let's say that it's clear the surviving spouse is going to have more than enough income and you have a large retirement account. And as we know, there typically you leave your retirement account to your spouse and there are required minimum distributions that, if you already have a lot of income, can exacerbate your income tax. It can push you into a higher tax bracket, which is not uncommon. You can actually use a, a marital trust, an irrevocable trust at your death, to leave your retirement account for the benefit of your spouse. But you can do a couple things that are helpful. Uh, Number one, you can ensure that your children will be the ultimate beneficiaries because it's in an irrevocable trust. You can limit how much they can distribute from the retirement account to required minimum distributions in a trust. And you can reduce their required minimum distribution by using a different life expectancy table. In other words, if you leave your uh, retirement account directly to your spouse, there's only one table they can use, the single life table. If you leave it to them in a marital trust, you can uh, actually direct the trustee To use the alternate life table, which um, it it almost cuts the required minimum distribution in half, so it does a couple different things. It reduces the tax liability to the survivor, and it also guarantees more money available to the children when uh, when your spouse dies. So that's important. And there's one other huge reason for well-to-do families to use an irrevocable trust, and that is this. Um, uh, It has to do with your estate tax exemption and your generation-skipping exemption. And while there's a couple different ways that you can preserve your estate tax exemption, The decedent spouse cannot preserve the generation-skipping exemption without an irrevocable trust. So if you create an irrevocable trust for your spouse, you can— and normally that would be what we call a credit shelter trust, uh, which maximizes your estate tax exemption— but it also maximizes your generation-skipping exemption as well. And so uh, you might say, well, what is that? Well, that's where if you're trying to create a trust that can actually go from your children at their death to your grandchildren, that's a generation-skip. And there are lots of advantages to that, and so it's better to have more exemption the generation skipping which if you create an irrevocable trust you get to keep your exemption plus your spouse's exemption which doubles the generation skipping exemption for your grandchildren so that's a wonderful reason
0: and it's a great reason why you should speak with an elder law attorney to know what planning is available at your disposal reach out to the folks at WG Alexander and Associates go to wga law.com to learn more. A quick break and back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be back after this. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget to register for the free webinars put on by W.G. Alexander & Associates. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more about long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. Click on the seminars button at WGALaw.com. It's free to register for the webinars. There's no cost to you. You can also call the office if you would like to register. Call 919-256-256. 7,000. 919-256-7000. 7,000. 919-256-7000. 7, is going to do it for us today. We hope you'll join us again next weekend. You've been listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.